And as you're being seated, if you would please turn in your copies of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. As we're rounding the final corner on our study of Ephesians. We are continuing our way through the household code, as it's sometimes called. We've looked at the duties of husbands and wives and what a Christian marriage looks like. And now we're going to take a look at what does it mean to be a Christian child and parent. So listen closely as we read verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this guidance that you give to us as to how to be a Christian family. Help us to do this well and to learn what you have to say and be motivated by your heavenly fatherly care for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's often a temptation when you are listening to a sermon that you believe applies to someone, especially if they happen to be sitting next to you, to elbow them and say, I hope you're paying attention to what the preacher is saying. And as a parent, I know that the temptation is the greatest when the preacher is talking about your children. And to say, it's like, hey, listen, he's telling you to obey me. See, I'm not the only one to tell you that. He's saying this too. And I'm sure the reaction was the same when the church at Ephesus got their letter from the Apostle Paul. And I imagine children were just like they are today. And the parents would have felt the need to elbow them and say, hey, Apostle Paul's talking to you. Listen. And obey the apostles telling you to listen to me. But the apostle Paul doesn't stop there. And he continues in verse 4 and addresses the parents as well. So here in this message today, everyone is going to get a chance to push elbows into ribs. So parents, this is your opportunity to nudge your children and say, listen, preacher's going to be talking to you too, as I do every week. And kids, I'm going to let you know when your opportunity is to nudge your parents and say, all right, it's your turn to listen now as we listen to what God has for us to learn how to be a family. And what we'll find, all of our ribs will get a little sore. But that's always the case when sinners come to hear the word of God. None of us have arrived. None of us ever get to the point where we don't need an elbow to hear what God has to say. So, as always, we're going to be taking a look at two points that we're going to get out of our passage today. You can see those on the back of your prayer guide. And they're going to be very simple points, because Paul makes a very simple point. First one is, children, obey your parents. And the second point, parents, help your children obey. Those are our two points today. Children, obey your parents, and parents, help your children obey. So, kids, do you hear from your parents a lot? Well, you can do this when you're older. Always hated hearing that as a kid. Because this meant that there was something important or fun or cool that I couldn't do until I got a little bit older. One of the nice things about the Bible is that Jesus lets you get started doing things for him immediately. 
You don't have to wait until you get older. God's got something for you to do right now. And additionally, if you do it, God also promises to bless you as well. You get to be a full participating member in this life that we have as Christians. And that's exactly what he says here in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's a pretty easy thing to understand, isn't it? Children, what's your job? Obey your parents. That's it. Well, maybe easy under, to understand, but it's actually quite hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to listen to your parents when they're telling you to stop doing things that you don't want to stop doing or to start doing something that you don't want to start doing. But you know what? Your parents know what it's like. Not because they were kids once too, but because they are still learning that with God. God is telling them to do things that they don't want to do. And it's telling them to stop doing things that they do want to do. They're having to learn this too. They're in the same boat with you, just like me. I'm still struggling with that too. We're all learning to obey an authority. And that's what God is telling you to do. And this is actually especially important because it's the right thing to do. Why is it the right thing to do? Ever ask your parents that? Tell you to do something and you say, why? They love that question. (laughs) But God gives you the answer because it's right. Why is it right? Because God said it is. That's always the marker for what is right. Because God said it. Not, because, not necessarily because there's a reason for it, although there is. But that's reason enough, is that God has told you this is the right thing to do. And this is especially true if you as children are following after Jesus. By the way, that's something that you actually need to choose to do. You're not a Christian just because your parents are. This is something that you have to choose to follow Jesus as well. And if you are doing that, then it is especially important that you obey your parents because that's what Jesus, your Savior, calls you to do. It's one thing to have the God of the universe tell you what to do. That's quite a thing. But it's also quite something else when in in addition to being your King and Lord, He's also your Savior and one who loves you very, very much. This is what He is calling you to do. He has called you to follow Him and has given you something to do. Now, is it enough to simply obey your parents, but to do so with a poor attitude? Do your parents accept that usually? No. This is, what, this is why Paul reaches back to the fifth commandment. Notice how far back he goes. God's been concerned with children and you guys for a long time. He goes all the way back to the fifth commandment and says to honor your father and your mother. Not just obey to honor them. This means to respect them, to treat them as something valuable, to give them respect. This is going from beyond just having to obey, but wanting to obey with a good attitude. Now, I know that's hard. In fact, that's impossible without Jesus. You need Jesus to change your heart. You need to ask him for help to get to this point. But God also gives you some motivation as well. He promises a blessing. Honor your father and mother. And it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Let you know there's a gift coming. 
Verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does that mean? Does this mean that if you obey your parents with a good attitude that you will get every single thing you want in life? Disney vacations and Paw Patrol as far as the eye can see. Is that what he's promising? The answer is no. Or is he also saying if we see a kid who is suffering, a kid who's sick or hurt, does that necessarily mean because they were bad kids? No, that's not what he's saying. This is a promise that is given generally. It is saying if we follow your parents, in general, life will go better for you. Have you ever had a circumstance where your parents told you to go do something but you didn't want to do it? So you didn't do it? And because you didn't do it, you got in trouble and then had to go do the thing? That's an example of making life harder on ourselves. We can make this worse by also trying to lie to cover it up. And then parents can always see through those lies because they were parents. And, well, they're adults, so they, they lie too. They can tell when, when there's someone lying to them. So you've got to trial another lie to cover that one up, and you make life harder and harder and harder. In fact, Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. The Hebrew word for something there when it's saying ruin is what we get the idea of rut. You ever had a car get stuck in a hole and the harder you keep cranking the gas, the more the wheel just kind of digs in? That's what he's describing. When we're sinful, when we don't obey our parents, we're spinning our wheels in the dirt. We're stuck in a rut. Can't get up and out of it. We're never going to sin our way into the good life. But it's by following after our parents. And that's where we'll see good comes. I mean, if you think about it, if you are children that happen to have siblings, if you're two, three years older than them, do you, can you think about how much more you know than your sibling? You're only a couple years older than them. Now imagine how many more years when you are your parents' age, how much more you'll know. Your parents have know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. They're trying to guide you towards Jesus if they're doing their job well. It's worth your while to obey. Yes, it can be difficult at times, but the Lord has given blessing for this. Now, this is beyond our text, but I want to give you a couple more reasons why you should obey your parents. Yes, because it's right. The Lord told you to do so. Yes, because there's blessing that God promises you. But I think there's a couple more. If we can go outside of this passage, is actually we as the church need you to do that. We need you to listen to your parents. Why? Because if they're doing their job correctly, they're doing what we read in Psalm 78 earlier, where they are teaching you what God has done. We need you guys to go take it to the next generation. We're not going to be around for that. You're going to meet people, see people, and interact with challenges that we're not going to see or do. And we're going to need you guys to carry the gospel forward. We need you, children. This is why God has been so concerned about children from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, when all went wrong, what was the first thing that God promised to them? A child would come. Genesis chapter 12, making a covenant with Abraham. What was the big point? A child will come. 2 Samuel 7, to David, children will come. All has been the point of this, looking towards the future, all the way to Christ. And now he's continuing in this whole thing, the blessings that come from having children, passing this on to the next generation. We need you guys 
We need you. So that's another reason to obey your parents. They're going to tell you how to do this. They will teach you what Jesus says. But there's a second point, a second reason why you need to obey your parents. That's because Jesus did. Jesus obeyed his parents when he was literally better than them in every way. But when Jesus was your age, and he was your age at some point, he listened and obeyed his parents. It was in Luke 2.51, if you don't believe me. There it is. He listened to his parents. Even if you think you are better than your parents, then follow after Jesus and obey them. Because that's what he's told you to do. Now, kids, this is your opportunity. We're getting to verse 4. Get those elbows out. We've covered, yes, your job is to obey your parents. And now for parents, our job is to help them obey. This is what Paul is taking here into verse 4. He is always addressing both sides of a power dynamic as we go through this chapter. And it's always been the, the one of lower status in that society first. He's addressed children, and now he's coming to parents. Now, he addresses the fathers because, again, there is the, the father is the head of the household, and there's a responsibility there. But this applies to mothers as well because the commandment is, talks about honoring father and mother. So this same thing applies here in verse 4. But here, Paul is telling us that we are not to provoke our children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How do we provoke our children to anger? Well, this can be done in a lot of different ways. But I think if we want to get maybe to the heart of how we provoke our children, it's by parenting out of selfishness. What do I mean by parenting out of selfishness? If we are trying to correct our children because what they're doing is embarrassing to us, what we're likely to do then, because we're parenting for us, will be harsh. Because we're going to use our own methods to get our own goals across, aren't we? It's being provoking, harsh words, or harsh actions. If I make my parenting about me, then I will parent out of selfishness, and nothing good comes out of selfishness. There's a great book Paul Tripp has written, simply titled Parenting. He opens with this line. He says, I am afraid that parenting confusion and dysfunction often begin with parents having an ownership view of parenting. It is seldom expressed and often unconscious, but it operates on this perspective of parenting. These children belong to me so I can parent them in the way that I see fit. What's Paul saying here? Paul Tripp, that is. What he's saying here is if we look at our children as being something other than God's children and try to think of, okay, well, these are my children. I own them. I'm going to parent them however I want to parent them. And I'm not going to take directives from the Lord's word. We'll get in trouble every single time. Our Heavenly Father has told us how he wants us to care for his children. And we do well to listen closely. His way of parenting is not harshness. Does that mean there's no discipline? No, not at all. In fact, that's the next line. 
Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is discipline. We do need firm and consistent discipline because that's what God calls us to do all through the Proverbs. No kid comes into the world perfect. You didn't. Neither do they. They need discipline. We still do. But what is the context of that discipline? It's the key point here. Look what he says. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word, bring up, as one scholar points out, is the same word used of husbands to tenderly care for their wives. In the Jewish context, bringing up children meant more than just providing them with food and clothing, but also meant affection as well. This was a tender household. When we looked at this term, bring up or to care for our wives, we found that that word meant literally keep warm. As one seminary class, a professor had asked the class, how many of you think that your parents love you? And just about everybody raised their hand. Then he asked a follow-up question. He said, how many of you think that your parents like you? Far fewer hands went up. And a few more tears began to be shed. They knew their parents loved them. But they weren't convinced that their parents liked them. This is what Paul is calling us to do here in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 6, 4, excuse me. To bring up our children is a lot more than just getting out the switch when they misbehave. Or only showing up when there's something wrong to correct but includes a loving care where you are assured of their affection for you. So God treats you, isn't it? This is not to say that children always behave in ways that are likable. Adults don't either, by the way. We tend to just blame children for being unlikable at this moment, but we can be unlikable too. It can be a real competition sometimes. But it's at those moments, it's at exactly those moments in which we need to reach out to God and ask for grace. Because this is what God does for us. How long has he been at it with you? I've been at it with a child for all of three years. God's been after me for 30. He's still patient with me. To borrow from Trip again, it says parenting just brings out of us what was always down there. And if we blame our children for that, then we're never going to run to Jesus to fix the problem. And we'll just get back in that same cycle over and over and over and over again. But when we realize that we need grace just as much as our children do, Then we're going to say, okay, this anger, this frustration, all that that's down there, kid didn't produce that. It's been in there all the time. He just got it out of me. So the solution is not get the kid to behave so I don't have to be bothered as much. It's go to Jesus and say, I've got some anger and frustration here. I've got a lot of pride and selfishness that, Jesus, you need to deal with. 
We need to come to our father just like our children come to us and say, Daddy, I need help. He doesn't look down at us and say, do it yourself. He says, of course. I know you need help. So I'm here to help you. I had to put this into practice last night. My son comes into the room not wanting to be in bed. Taken back to bed, back to bed, back to bed. And all the while I'm thinking about how my sleep has been interrupted. And didn't think, was blind to the fact, my son was scared. Didn't want to be by himself. And I thought to myself, it's like being scared of the dark. Come on, buddy. I, you know, I lock the doors. I take care of you. And I think to myself, how many times have I come to God with my silly fears? I'm afraid of a lot of stuff that God has provided for me for. I'm afraid of a lot of things I shouldn't be afraid of. Yet the Lord comes and sits in my room, waits till I go to sleep. That's what I had to be reminded of last night. That's what I need to be reminded of again. God's been very, very good to you. And if you've ever noticed in your Christian life, you seem to be far more motivated to love and obey God when you have a firm understanding of how much God loves and likes you. Not because of you, but because of him. He loves you so much. He loves your children so much. And in the same way, when your children are assured of your love for them, the same effect will result. Now, it's not a mathematical formula. Do this, do this, do this. You'll get kids like that. We've not been listening to the whole rest of the idea about this all of grace. Jesus is the one who transforms your kids, not you. You can lead them. You can shepherd them. You should. But you can't change them. That's Jesus' job. To borrow again from Trip, when you walk into their room for the 19th time, you're not going in alone. Jesus is with you. He's with you as you parent. He's with you in the middle of the night. He's with you during those desperate prayers that a prodigal would return. He's with you every step of the way. And he's with your children too. Even when they're out from under your roof, they're not out from under Jesus' jurisdiction. He can follow them as far as they can run. Even if they've outrun you, they can't outrun Jesus. You have a help who's there for you, who's with you. And that's what we point our children to. This is what bringing them up in the fear and, or the, uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Constantly pointing them back to Jesus. Because that's the only thing we can point to. Can't point to ourselves. Like, well, when are you going to get things together like I did? I worked hard. I did this. I wasn't given anything in life. I don't care. You were given everything in life. It's still Jesus. Point them in the same way. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Now, you may be here this morning and say, I failed at this. 
I didn't do this very well. Either I did, didn't know it, just did the best that I could, or I did know it, but I was just too selfish to see it. God's grace is still can work in your children. Don't look and say, well, it's over. I messed up. It's gone forever. Well, now you're back into thinking you can change your children again. Stop that. Keep looking back to Jesus. Maybe there are some apologies that need to be said. Maybe there are some letters to be written, phone calls to be made, apologies to be said, and repentance to be affected. And you know what that does? That tells your children that mom and dad need Jesus too. So maybe I do. Trying to hide from them and never apologize and never show that we need grace too teaches them the same behavior. Hide it. Don't apologize because that's weakness. God promises that that's strength. When we realize we don't have it all together, we realize we do sin against our children and our children sin against us. We all need the grace of the gospel. And Jesus is here to give it. He doesn't look at you and say, well, when you get your parenting under control, then you can come and be with me. Or kids, when you can finally start listening to your parents, then you can come and be a part of my blessing. No! Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all you bad parents. Come to me, all you failure dads. Come to me, all you prodigal children. And I will give you love. I'll change you. That's the hope we have. And that's what we keep pointing them to. You know, you point to what you're amazed by. And maybe if we don't point our children enough to Jesus, maybe it's because we're not amazed by Jesus enough. Maybe we've forgotten how much we need him. We've forgotten now because we're paying a mortgage and are out on our own that we think we've somehow arrived. Because we don't need our physical parents' help anymore that we don't need our Heavenly Father's help anymore. Might be time to wind that back. And remember how dependent we are on him. Not just for our daily lives, but especially for our parenting. God's been very good to you. He has given you exactly the child you need. He didn't mismatch it. So that works in two ways. We don't get to look at this child and say, it's just like, well, this child needed a better father. He got the wrong one in me. Well, he may have been given a sinful father, but God made no mistake in who that child's parents were. It's you. He's called you to do that. They don't get to turn around and say the same thing. No, we've been given exactly who we're supposed to be with. God's not been lost on that. And he's using, even if it's been a conflict the whole time, that whole thing has been shaping the both of you towards him. And maybe you might not see that yet in your children. But the Lord's working. He's shaping and molding. For as long as your children draw breath, you can draw hope. 
that Christ can shape them, form them, and bring them to himself. And as we come around to our final point, we recognize none of this is accomplishable on your own. If you walk away from this lesson here today, this passage of Scripture, and walk away from it saying it's like, okay, well, I'm going to get home. I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to whip these kids into shape. I'm going to get my parenting done. Missed it. You walk away from this lesson and hear, this is impossible. Now you're getting it. This is meant to draw you to Jesus. This kind of parenting of your children, that requires a heart that is moved by love and grace. And that's not something you can talk yourself into. This is something Jesus has to put inside of you. So ask for it. Because Jesus promises that those who come to him, he will in no way cast out. No matter how bad of a father or mother you've been, come to Jesus and he promises to pick you up into his arms. And children, same goes for you. You can't obey your mother and father by talking yourself into it. You need to talk to Jesus about it and help him bring you along, recognizing, I can't do this on my own. You are not going to get into heaven based on your parenting. Thank goodness. In God's eyes, if you're in Christ, if you've come to him, put your trust in him, turning from your sins and to Jesus. If you're following after Christ, if you are united to him, then in God's eyes, you've been the perfect parent. If you as a child come to Christ, put your faith in him, then Jesus sees you as the perfect child. Now just walk along with him. We're talking in Sunday school today, comparing it to a golf swing. You can try to whack that ball as much as you want to. It's always going to go in the rough and the wrong spots. Hand the club over to Jesus. Let him hit those hole-in-ones every single time, sometimes without even hitting the ball. Then hand you the perfect scorecard and says, here, you can sign your name to it. You've won the tournament because I won it for you. Now, here's a club. Let's play together. You can watch me as I swing. You don't have to play for points anymore. Just enjoying the fellowship that you have with your father. I hope that's what you take away from this today. Because if you are enjoying your relationship with your father, when you realize how much you didn't deserve it, how much you never could, but how good he is to you anyway, then he'll bring that same heart to your parenting. And you will help your children, pointing them to Jesus, who will help them obey. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. For our children, for these are gifts to us and treasures entrusted to us. Oh, help us. To treasure these gifts. Help us to look at them as your children that we can only guide towards you. Help us to do this with love. Help our own hearts to be changed by what you've done in our lives. And may this spill over into our own parenting. Not so that we can look like we've got it all together. Not so our children are the successes that we weren't. 
but so that you would get glory and that you would move and that we could look to you and say, what a wonderful God you are. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.